Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. Another brand new Flyers Daily edition for Monday, June 20th. As the coaching search is now over, John Tortorella was introduced the other day. He's also, I think, believe going to have a press conference tomorrow in person at Skate Zone. And I believe yours truly. I will be sitting down for a one-on-one face-to-face with John Tortorella. We'll bring you that uh, if that does come to fruition, coming up on Wednesday's episode. Usually Mondays are Mondays with Meltzer. Um, we'll get to Bill coming up later this week, but uh, we had him a couple extra times last week. But in this episode, we're actually going to talk to the general manager and president of the Flyers, Chuck Fletcher. A normal offseason is chaotic for with the draft and free agency and the reshaping of a roster and behind-the-scenes things and hockey operations, blah, blah, blah. Uh, couple that with a coaching search and one that turned out to be a little different than your run-of-the-mill coaching search because of the names that were out there, whether that was Barry Trotz or John Tortorella or Bruce Cassidy and other big names, Paul Maurice, Pete DeBoer, you know, it goes on and on as this coaching carousel this offseason has been extremely interesting. But they hired John Tortorella, and he is the new head coach of the Flyers. And joining us on this episode to talk about that, the offseason, and much more is Flyers general manager and president Chuck Fletcher. After what's been a very hectic start to the offseason, how's it going so far, Chuck? It's going uh, going well, Jason. Yeah, very excited uh, to successfully end our, our head coaching search and thrilled that we were we're able to, to sign, uh, you know, John Tortorella, but oh, it's been a busy, busy few weeks, but uh, we're in a good place and we had a good outcome. From a logistical standpoint, the end of a season and, and a disappointing season is, is busy enough figuring out what you want to do with your roster and all of those things. Add the coaching search into it and imagine it compounds it a lot, but also a coaching search that was incredibly high profile this time with the list of candidates that became available uh, did that complicate things a little bit more? Did it take longer than maybe you had hoped? It may have added a little bit of time as, as some guys came online a little bit later. But, you know, we, uh, you know, I think our goal this time was to make sure that we um, considered the best possible candidates. And and uh, so we, we set up a process from the, from the beginning, uh, you know, so we weren't just interviewing people that we knew of. We wanted to make sure we we considered all potential candidates and, and uh, you know, it was a really great process to go through. And, uh, you know, we went through it very methodically at the beginning. It took a couple of weeks even to get down to the list of eight candidates that we chose to interview. So there was a lot of time and effort spent and, and, you know, creating an, a candidate profile and using that profile to filter through uh a vast list of names uh, that were available uh, in the coaching universe. And, and, and from there to get down to that group of eight that we even initially interviewed. So uh, it, it was a different process than I've ever used before. And frankly, a better one. And I'm kind of, you know, thinking this may have been a, a great thing that uh, I, I could have utilized my whole career, but better late than, 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 uh, than never. And uh, here we are. And uh, we interviewed eight great candidates and, uh, yeah, many of whom, as you as you mentioned, were high-profile, um, great coaches. So it, be, it was less about finding a good coach and more about finding uh, the right fit. And, and yeah. it sounds cliche, but really we were looking for certain uh, characteristics and a certain uh, level of success and, and verifiable track record that we thought would translate to our team in this market. 
I know you mentioned in your press availability that one of the, the aspects that maybe was different in this one is that, you know, the coach who was coming in, the candidates were kind of, you know, telling you their plan. And when you have high profile candidates available, it allows you guys to really obtain a lot of information, Chuck, on how the, the organization, players, everything is perceived from the outside. Is that one of the benefits to going through this process? It's certainly one of the benefits. Uh, you know, you get to know a lot of people and some people uh, that I'd never spoken with before, knew of, and they knew of me, but we had never met. Um, so I met a lot of great people, heard a lot of great ideas about systems and tactics, uh, learned a lot about, per, you know, perceptions of our of our players and our organization. And, and so there were a lot of benefits, but, you know, ultimately the goal was to, to, to get the right person and, I really liked how we set up the first interview uh, for everybody and making it more of a pitch, having candidates come in and instead of saying, tell me about your career, tell me about your background and kind of going through their, you know, like the resume per se was more about why are you the right fit for the flyers and having them speak to us. And some guys went 20, 30 minutes, some, some of them went an hour. And, And then based on that pitch, you could then, ask specific questions and they could ask you questions. And it really created, uh, after the initial presentation, it, it created some great, uh, great flow, um, great back and forth uh, conversation. And, and it allowed us to really dig into, uh, dig into these guys and their ideas on, on what they would do with our team and, and why uh, we should hire them. And, and then in turn, they would ask questions, you know, about us, because some of them had other uh, teams they were speaking with. So it, it was a, it was a very enjoyable process, a long one, um, some great people, great candidates. And, and I think you heard, uh, the honesty and the passion of, of John Tortorella today. And I, I'm just very confident we've arrived at the right place. And Chuck, just kind of like going back throughout your career, you know, when you hire Bruce Boudreaux in Minnesota, whatever it is, the evolution of the game is often present in what they say in these kind of meetings. Do you kind of feel it? The, the evolution of coaching, the evolution of strategy of the game? Do you get a sense for all that when you go through this kind of process? You, you do. Um, there certainly has been an evolution in the strategy. But what, what I learned, Jason, was, you know, and it's sort of what I thought in watching teams, most teams play somewhat similarly. You know, they're, they're a little different. Uh, you know, you can have a, a one two two or a one one three in the neutral zone. You can some teams play man on man. Some teams play more of a layered zone type of D zone coverage. Um, but a lot of the tenets of, of the game are the same. Yeah. And I guess what I really had an appreciation for at the end was the importance of, of honesty, empathy, and communication skills in your coach. And all coaches are demanding. Uh, some are go about it differently than others. There's no question, you know, towards is a, it's certainly a, you know, goes right through the front door, so to speak. But, you know, I, I really do think players respond to people uh, and respond to coaches if they know you care about them. And, yeah. and uh, that really started hitting home. And it's less about how you want to play and more about how you get them to play the way you want to play. And, and uh, so it, it was, um, it was great. So there's certainly been an evolution in tactics and techniques and things like that, but it still comes down to, you know, communicating and and getting guys to buy in and uh, as simple as that sounds. And, and I think we got a good one in Tortorella. 
When you look at John Tortorella, he comes in obviously with a reputation and a guy that's coached in this league. He is a hard driving coach. We know that. We know that it's his religion and he carries it every day. As you go through the process with, with torts, do you almost have to debunk some of the perception things that are out there about him? Um, how much, how well did you know him kind of prior to this as a man, as a coach? And do you have to kind of almost debunk some of those things that are, are perceptions that we have that may not, not necessarily be true? Um, you know, I'd had two conversations with him in my life. The longest was probably 30 seconds uh, prior, <laughs> prior to uh, the interview process. In fact, he was my first game as a general manager with the Flyers was against a home game against uh, Columbus. And I ran into him before the game and, and he, you know, he congratulated me and we had a real nice conversation. Um, but, you know, I, I know a lot of people that have worked with him, have managed him. I, I know a lot of players that have played for him. And so I'm not sure I, you know, I, I bought into all the perceptions of him that were out there, but I, you know, you know, rest assured, he, uh, he had to answer a lot of questions in yeah. the, um, in, in the interview and we grilled him. Uh, we spoke about everything. Tell me about the situation you had with this player, or that player, and, and gave him a chance to, you know, talk about the situation from his point of view. And in many cases, I, I knew the other side. Um, and, uh, you know, he was, he was great. He, he was honest. Um, he, he freely admitted some situations where he felt he made mistakes and he'd handle things differently. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I just, again, the honesty and the, and the passion uh, really came through. And, and uh, most coaches in this league are demanding. Again, they all go about it differently. So that being a demanding coach is not a unique feature to John Tortorella. Uh, his incredible honesty and passion um, and you heard it today in the press conference it is what sets them apart. And, and I think that is what we need at this point in time. And Chuck, in all honesty, players in the NHL, they're elite athletes. They've been pushed throughout their career. So being pushed is not something that's foreign to them. It's not like they're going to get John Turrell as their coach and go, well, this is the first guy that's going to make me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, that's and, and how you all, get there, right? Yeah. They, they all want to get better and, and yeah. they get it. And, and, um, most of our players right now, I mean, look, the way we finished last season, um, the way we played last season, I mean, clearly we, you know, we have, um, you know, we all have to look in the mirror. We all have to get better. And I just really feel John is, is going to bring this group together um, as quickly as possible. Maybe it takes some, takes some time, but, you, you know, I, right now the narrative seems to be about what we can do in free agency and trades and, to get better. We, we have a, a long runway here, uh, you know, to, uh, that we have to go down to, to improve internally. And there's a lot of opportunities for internal growth for players to develop, uh, to be a harder team to play against, defend better. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of internal improvement that we will need to, to get better. You can't just look to the outside all the time. And that's, you know, one of the main reasons that, that Torts was the guy. In, and, and there was some reports that you talked to some former players that played for him throughout different parts of his career, whether that was maybe in Tampa or uh, even in Vancouver. I think one of the names that were floated out there were the Sedins. Um, in, in part of that process, in talking to the guys that play from him, 
played for him, knowing he drives players as hard as he does, is, is that a big factor in what kind of makes him the right guy for this, for this, this, this position now? Well, it, it does. And in, in the reaction of those players to being pushed and, I spoke with a lot of players and, and Cam Atkinson being being one of them. I spoke with him at, at length at the end of the season. Um, I haven't actually had a lot of conversations with Cam lately because I'm, I'm well aware of his thoughts. But Cam just said, look, it, there's times it's uncomfortable. John likes conflict. Uh, he feels conflict is a, a necessary part of getting better. He, he wants to give and take with the player. He wants the player to battle back and push back. Uh, conflict is, is, can be a really healthy tool in getting better. Um, and, and Cam was the first to admit at times it's a bit uncomfortable. You know, he, he, uh, he may say things to you that deep down, you know, are true, but you don't always want to hear it. And, uh, but you know, when you have time to reflect back and, uh, you know, you appreciate the honesty and you, and you know, he's doing it for your betterment. It's not about John Tortorella. It's about the team and about making that individual better. And, basically every player to, to a man uh, admitted that, that some saw it right away, some realized a few months later. And, and it was amazing to me how many former players that he had uh, told me they would love to play for him again. Yeah. That's the, that's the perception that is something that I've been kind of battling. And you see it that everybody assumes that guys hate playing for him, but it's just not the reality of the situation. Um, let me ask you about the development of young players, because a lot of times the moniker of a hard driving coach or a guy that's been around the game a long time is that he always favors veteran players. He's not going to play young players. But John Tortorella, if you look back through his career, has done a really good job of developing players, whether that's early in Tampa with Le Cavalier and St. Louis and others through his time with the Rangers with Stahl and, and even in Columbus. And you look at some of the players there with Warinsky and Seth Jones, um, he's a guy that's always has developed young players. That's got to be part of the equation for you as well, not only with developing some of your younger players, but also maybe getting some guys' development curve back in, in the right trajectory. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and that's what I was alluding to earlier. You, you look at our yeah. team and, you know, some of the younger players that are that are pushing to make our team next year, you know, players like Tippett, Allison, Lazinski, Farabee, you know, who's been here for a little bit, Cates, uh, you know, York, uh, Adderd, you know, Brink, you, you could go on and on. Hogberg, Ratcliffe, you know, some of these players are, you know, have to be players for us. They, they have to develop. They have to get better. You can't just go to market and keep buying your way, uh, you know, build a team by buying players and trading for everybody. You have to draft well. You have to develop well. And, and, and a lot of that development now in, in today's day and age happens at the NHL level. And he has a track record of making players better, and uh, that's going to be a really big part of, of us becoming a, a good hockey team. And, and uh, you know, I think the track record speaks for itself. And, and uh, you know, that's one of our situations now. Those players I mentioned, all those players were not knocking on the door. I, uh, Morgan Frost, another player, uh, you, you know, all those players were not necessarily ready to, to push last year or weren't here, and, but this year – this is the largest group of young players I've seen that are coming in. Uh, they're not necessarily 20 and 21. A lot of them are 23, 24. It's their time. It's time to make it. Uh, it's make it or break it time, whatever you want to call it. And, and uh, you know, that's why I'm really excited about having John and, and working with John to build a coaching staff that, you know, complements his skills and, and allows us to, to make sure we have 
you know, the people in place to, to get the most out of this group. When do you anticipate having uh, the staff kind of filled out? Is that a couple of weeks? Uh, how does that process go? Yeah, we, you know, we've spoken about uh, sort of, again, I keep using the term candidate profile, but uh, you know, talking about- <laughs> You sound so corporate, Chuck. I, I know, I know, <laughs> but talking about, you know, what he wants and, and, and the two main assistants, right? And typically you have two assistant coaches on the bench and oftentimes one runs the defense and the penalty kill, one runs the forwards and the power play, but- but more than just that, uh, you know, what type of skill sets? You know, John has some strengths. Uh, clearly, he, he he has a track record of uh, of reducing your goals against. He has a track record of, of creating structure that allows goaltenders to be successful. He has a track record of a really strong penalty kill. He has a track record of developing young players. Uh, you know, power play. I would not say that's John Tortorella's strength, and he'd be the first Great. to admit it. So, how can we find the right person? you know, power play, look, a lot of that's natural talent too. Um, If you have two or three elite skilled guys, it's going to make your power play better, but still what, what can we do to maximize the talent of what we have? So we've talked about that at a high level. Uh, We've talked about certain names. We'll have to dig into that over the next couple of weeks. And, and uh, you know, typically by the draft, you like to have that staff put in place, but you know, it'll, it'll be what it'll be depending on, you know, our ability to speak to people and, and, and find people that, uh, you know, we're able to get. You're able to focus now on the draft more singularly. I know you've been probably kind of juggling different uh, elements of the offseason with the coaching search. Uh, the draft included free agency and, and the possibilities that may be avail- available there, some cap flexibility and things of that nature. I know you've mentioned uh, that you're going to do everything. You're going to look at everything to make this team and improve this roster. Uh, but when you look at the, the situation, is there a ton you can accomplish in this kind of offseason? You got the number for the, the cap ceiling at 82 and a half uh, when Gary Bettman spoke the other day, uh, bringing up league revenues and such. Uh, what kind of flexibility do you have and how much how much work do you anticipate you can accomplish? Well, you know, some of that remains to be seen. I mean, we're I think we looked at it. There's eight teams that literally have work to do to get underneath the cap. Um, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> we, we don't have we don't have a lot of space, but you know if if our whole staff took the rest of the summer off, like we we would be able to put a team on the ice. We'd be under the cap. So you know we're not working from a defensive position, but clearly the more aggressive we want to be, we will have to create some flexibility. You know if if we can improve in a couple areas, I think we'll certainly look to do that. Um, we're very excited about you know, about the fifth, uh, the fifth overall pick in terms of adding a, a young, really talented player to our, to our cupboard of prospects. Uh, I don't expect that player would be a factor for next season, but, but the future comes quick and, and he, you know, that, that player could, could factor in, in the near future. So, you know, we'll look to improve in certain areas and uh, clearly we we're hoping to get some good news on the health front with some of our players, get some players back for a full season that, that would make an impact on our team. So we're attacking it from a whole host of ways, but uh, the calls are starting to come in and talking to a lot of teams that are sort of in our situation and, and we'll see what may be available on the trade front. Uh, let's talk about the health of Ryan Ellis. I know you kind of targeted July as one of the numbers in your end of season press conference. Is there any update on, on his rehab status and, and how things are progressing for him? Yeah, he, he's uh you know, he's ready to sort of take the next step in, in his uh, in his rehab uh, program. He will be back in the market, um, I think, this weekend and 
start to ramp up some of the, uh, uh, you know, off ice stuff that, uh, that, you know, taking that to a different level. And, uh, you know, hopefully that continues to go well and then going well, you know, maybe sometime in early to mid July, it'll start to get back on the ice. So, you know, we're still taking, you know, one step at a time and, you know, hopefully uh, we can avoid big setbacks and continue to progress and, and see where he goes, but we'll have a better handle on it over, I think the next few weeks, but, you know, I, I think things are progressing the way we anticipated and uh, still a long way to go, but, but, um, you know, I think we have a good plan in place right now. Gary Batman mentioned the league will drop the puck on next season, October 11th, get back to a normal schedule. Meanwhile, you still have the, uh, the, the cup final going on. And, and as you watch these playoffs, Chuck, it, they've been really intriguing from goaltending depth that's had to be used and some of the storylines. Uh, but every year you watch the playoffs and you kind of see teams that, you know, without depth and without a full team, you don't have much of a chance to advance in the playoffs. And, you know, having that, veteran presence in your bottom six and those kind of things. Do you see a reversion in the game going back to some more, some more grit because getting through four rounds of the playoffs is kind of paramount to have that. Yeah. Grit and, and um, you know, competitive people, um, you know, you look at some of the, you know, the two teams that are playing now, I mean, some of their skilled players, I, I wouldn't say are the, the grittiest players to play. They, they play with skill and pace, but they compete. You know, they win puck battles. They, uh, they, they win battles along the wall and they're not necessarily running people over all over the ice, but they, they're willing to, to sacrifice to, to help the team. They're willing to take hits to make a play and sort of that level of commitment and, and sacrifice for the team that you see from everybody, from the elite skill players to the role players, it, it's uniform and, and these teams that, that get this far. So, you know, grit's a part of it, but really the, that competitiveness and, and that team orientation and, and that willingness to do what it takes in the moment to, you know, to succeed. And it's been really impressive. You know, last round watching Steven Stamkos block shots and, yeah. you know, take a hit to make a play. I mean, obviously you see the skill, you see the goals he scores and the plays he makes and the impact on the power play. But, I mean, he blocked a couple of huge shots in that Rangers series that, you know, the, those are big plays and, and uh, everybody sees that and that really rallies, um, you know, your team around what you're trying to accomplish when you see your, you know, your, your, uh, you know, your really uh, expensive high-end players uh, sacrificing for the team. And that's the impressive thing. That's what makes our game so great. And, and uh, these two teams that are playing are, are certainly great hockey teams. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, well, it's going to be a busy couple of weeks coming up as we uh, get ready for the draft coming up on, I guess, July 7th. It's not around the corner. The, the off season, doesn't, it doesn't really feel that long, does it? <laughs> No, it doesn't. But, you know, the funny thing is, uh, I think the first day of free agency is July 13th. And by July 14th, the level of activity just drops precipitously yeah. like you. It's a sprint from the end, of, from whenever your season ends, starting with the exit interviews, you know, world championships, the under 18s, the combine, the pro meetings, the amateur meetings. We had a coaching search, some other things we're involved in. And and you get into the draft and free agency. And then it's like hitting a wall. And uh, it's actually really difficult mentally when you go from kind of the frenetic activity and the emotional involvement. And then all of a sudden it's like, what do I do now? And uh, yeah. it, it'll be nice when we get there. Hopefully we, we feel good about where we're at at that point. But so about three, four more weeks of craziness and then a lot of Phillies baseball to watch. 
Yeah, a moment to recharge. It feels like a moment, and then it's right back in it, and uh, the grind of a season and the excitement of a season. Chuck, um, John Tortorella, the 23rd coach in Philadelphia Flyers history, um, and I know it's uh, polarizing for some people. He's a guy that I was stumping for the day after Elaine Vigneault got fired, the guy that I always felt like just belonged in this city to coach. Congratulations on the hire. Thanks for doing this, and uh, good luck with the draft coming up. Yeah, thank you, Jason. I should have just listened to you right away huh, instead of going through this long I've been telling you, I've been telling everybody for years, just listen to me. You'd be all right. You save yourself a lot of ag. I'm learning my lesson. All right. Thank you, Jason. Thanks to Chuck Fletcher for taking the time to join us on this episode of Flyers Daily. Again, we'll have uh, John Tortorella, the newest Flyer head coach, the 23rd in franchise history, will be our guest coming up on Wednesday's episode. Everybody, in the meantime, enjoy your Monday. We'll talk to you coming up Wednesday on another brand new episode of Flyers Daily. <laughs>